My favorite Nietzsche quote is when he says that the great eras of our lives begin when we rebaptize our badness as the best in us. Isn't that such a beautiful phrase? Now, think about this from the context of being highly open and highly creative, having trait openness in abundance. This is something that I have. This is something I'm extremely suspicious that every single one of you have, because almost everybody who's interested in Jung and Nietzsche and Jordan Peterson and these type of things tend to display these traits. In fact, Jordan Peterson himself noticed, even Jung himself noticed, that many of their clients who would come in most of the time, you'd have to do sort of run-of-the-mill basic psychology, talk about family, talk about, you know, the kind of basic self-help stuff, if you wish. But there would be a small percentage of people who would be obsessed about the ideas of dreams. They'd really take naturally to the idea of exploring their creative imagination, trying things like art therapy, trying to really work on their, their sort of ideological perspectives, their worldview. They'd um, have what Jung might call archetypal dreams quite often and stuff like this. They'd be and people built for imagination, thinking, um, intellect, these type of things, the world of ideas comes naturally to them and and he would notice that this would be a minority you know 20 percent maybe young and jordan peterson both noticed this and and of course me banging on about young all the time shows me that probably most of the people who come here are interested in this stuff i am interested in this stuff i have a huge appetite for these type of things a ferocious one and this trait is a bad trait to have it's not a blessing it's a bit of a curse in fact to have especially creativity but high openness in general because it leads you to being isolated from your peers quite a lot it leads you to being different it leads you to be f feeling like a misfit an outsider you have this appetite and appreciation for aesthetic experiences for ideological experiences for thinking about concepts and thoughts being open-minded in general being able to look at taboo subjects with um with with actual joy like i actually get that i love looking at dangerous things and exploring things in this type of way and why would that be well it's because it's the way i'm built you know and for this reason growing up for me was always always feeling a little bit of isolation and in fact i was never necessarily like bad with people i was never like a loner i actually had a lot of friends and i was built well built into communities and groups and whatnot but at the same time i i, I very i found it very 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 hard to find people i could resonate with like-minded people i found it very very hard to talk about conceptual stuff to run um, ideas and thoughts by people in fact i had to sort of do my most of that stuff introverted to the point where I thought it was introverted but then later in life I realized that once I learned how to talk about these things I'm actually a massive extrovert I love just blathering down people burning people's ears off being torturing people going on with this and um, and the experience of a highly open-minded person is to be a minority, to be an outsider, to grow up with a batch of people you're thrown together in school, the majority of them not being that open-minded, not being that um, crazy capable of thinking big uh, excessive thoughts, and you sort of feeling maybe like a little bit of a misfit. It can go worse where you feel like, like you get isolated and become a loner, you're a weirdo, a freak, or you can be actually well integrated but still not able to express this very important part of yourself. You have this conflict with the crowd, conflict with the herd, and this leads to all sorts of anxieties, all sorts of pains, all sorts of feelings of, of strangeness, estrangement, alienation. There's a part of you, a muse, a, a goddess inside of you, uh, a fire, a desire, an appetite, as I said, for ideas that is not served and it leaves you in a perpetual state of hunger. And many of the promises, the things that would satisfy most normal people, such as the security of a very straightforward, well-laid-out path, the organization of a very structured set of steps that someone can take in order to, to live a fulfilling life and all this type of stuff, this stuff never never really appeals to you when you constantly find yourself at odds with your friends, un incapable of following the same life paths as them. And this leads to some very difficult problems. You also can't really talk to them as well. You can't talk to your parents and your family. No one seems to understand you. And so what you do is you go onto YouTube and find the Alex Jones of psychology like myself. And you sit down and you listen to us, you listen to people like me, and we sort of turn into your buddies. We turn into the people that you have these conversations with. But it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a bit like a digital person talking to you on the screen. It's not the same as in being in the meat space. These are all symptoms of being open-minded. This is, you know, the nature of this curse, the nature of this trait. And I think what I'm beginning to understand is the, the great educational goal of, of whatever I'm doing here on Uberboy was to try to teach people who have this trait, how they are different, and how to optimize it so that they become successful. And of course, the first principle of that is establishing a visual mental model to know why that is, what this trait is, and why it, why it exists. So the simplest thing you can get in your head, the thing you need to install is 
the way nature has designed human tribes, all, all animals, of course, but the human tribe in the most excessive way, why do we have different personalities? Why are there some people who are neurotic? Why are there some people who are introverted? Why are there some people who are extroverted? Why are there some people who are industrious? Why are some people extremely creative? Why are some people extremely high in openness? Why are some people smart? Why are some people not smart? What's going on with this? Why does nature distribute various attributes among people? What's going on there? What's her strategy? What's her purpose? And you can think of it quite logically, she wants to create a lot of different possible ways that the world can work to deal with a lot of different possible problems. It's better to get people to, it's better to get individuals to specialize so that the group as a whole is robust and has lots of different strategies. It's very dynamic, decentralized, because that's the most resistant thing in the long term. When you throw something like that out into nature, it's very, very likely to survive. Just like your body is not made up of one type of cell. You've got a stomach, you've got a brain. These are all different individual cells that make up these organs and all this type of stuff but all together even though there's all these differences they all do their own specialized jobs and that helps you function as a thing the the body politic the tribe itself is very, very similar. The bulk of people will be highly conservative, and I don't mean that in a political sense, highly conservative in the way that they operate. They will have the cultural accepted taboos of the age, they will have the ways of seeing things, and they will just go along with the plan, and they'll be very consolidated in simple ways of thinking. And then there'll be minorities of people who might be actually so far behind, they might have, you know, not, not be able to catch up, or there might be people who are exceptionally far out in front, the, the, the very classic genius meme. And, and open-minded people will be tend to be like this. There'll be a minority of people who have this huge trait openness, high intelligence, and high creativity, open to new experiences and new ideas. And nature creates these. And nature does this for a very very sad reason, actually. Because um, nature doesn't care about individuals. She cares about the tribe surviving in the long run. That's that's her goal. Is As long as the DNA carries its way forward, she doesn't really mind if a couple of individuals get thrown by the wayside. So what she does is the DNA, she creates the bulk of the DNA to be nice and conservative and slow and does what works. Think of, for example, when nature evolved the spine, she conserved and she stuck with giving every single animal afterwards a spine because spines just work. They're very conservative. They're very, they're not very sexy or romantic, but she doesn't innovate. She doesn't create these new, like, you know, cross form spines or circles, but she doesn't bother with any of that stuff. She says one spine, that's all we need. We'll just stick with this. This is the thing that works. She conserves. She's very, very laborious and slow and patient. And when something works, she doubles down and does not change anything. She doubles down on what works. She loves that is because success matters more than being creative or innovative. But it's always good to find new strategies, to find interesting ways of doing things, to innovate, to create new things. So what she'll do is a small percentage of the, the, the individuals in the tribe, she'll turn them into these crazy people, these wackos like us. That's that's us. I hate to break it to you. And with these wackos, she's, she's doing something quite... Um, quite annoying. She's going to take risks with us. So she's going to throw us out there and get us to, um, oh, you you know, go and uh, come up with a load of different ideas. Go and try explore the chaos of the jungle. Go, go and try build this uh, new infrastructure. Go and try innovate a, a new way of seeing the world. Go and try create something. And the vast majority, actually Nietzsche calls this the law of a thousand failures, will mean that most of us will die. Most of us, most of these individuals will die. These thousand individuals, one of them will su succeed. But that one success will be so astronomically big that it will absolutely revolutionize the entire tribe and bring it forward a whole new paradigm and a whole new step. And this is interesting. It's a high-risk, high-reward thing. That individual as well will get rewarded immensely by nature. She will. Everything will pour towards them. Everything will go to them. It's a Pareto distribution. Now, that's that's very interesting. That's very powerful. That's, that's an inspiring story. Of course, we always imagine ourselves as the hero who makes it, the open-minded, creative innovator who breaks forward and achieves that victory, when in reality, 99.9% .9 of people will be crushed underneath the force of this and end up becoming nothing and falling down and being irrelevant and a, a nobody and a loser, which sucks. You know, a broke musician, a homeless person, maybe even dying, a heroin addict. These are the, the sort of problems of being extremely creative. You get pulled down by your, your open-mindedness, your exploration for aesthetics. You get sucked down into decadent behaviors which destroy you and ultimately eat you alive and ruin you. And nature is brutal with this. She's is absolutely ruthless with this. And what's so annoying is that even though she's ruthless like this, she's massively unequal in the way she deals with these things. She is going to do this anyway because this is her strategy. She doesn't care about your individuality and your rights and your desire to be treated well and all this. She doesn't care about that. She'd rather let you die just for the sake of the broader tribe succeeding. It's a very, very harsh reality, but it is true. Um, and so the way she's wired you, and this is what you have to 
you know, humble yourself to, the way she's wired you to, is to be this type of character. In fact, you can even look at this in the personality traits of creative people or high openness people, high intellect people. They are more drawn generally to chaos. They're actually better able at adapting um, uh, adapting to ambiguity in these types of experiences as opposed to normies, the bulk normies, the conservative people, the spinal cord of society. Because these, this spinal cord of society, um, these people prefer order. They prefer things that are straightforward, systematized, put together in a comprehensive step-by-step way. They prefer life plans that are organized and straightforward. They, they like routine. They like what is normal, what they're told is normal. They like social condition. They love social conditioning, mainstream perspectives. They love all that stuff. And, and this is because they like order and safety. They want to be inside the kingdom. They don't want to live in the chaos of the jungle. They want to be inside the kingdom and they want to get everything running as expected. And they want the systems to run as expected. They don't like ambiguity, surprise, chaos, all these types of things. Whereas the people who have this massive explosion of open-mindedness and especially creativity and especially these extra powers they will actually in some sense feel imprisoned inside order they will feel imprisoned inside all of this stuff and then want uh, a huge amount of ambiguity and chaos and strangeness and danger like i said myself like i get attracted to dangerous ideas to boo ideas they'll want to see what is outside and this is nature actually plugging them in with that desire to go and explore the danger and the unknown in the forest it's pushing them out into this realm of existence in order to see who they are and, and, and discover things that are dangerous and in some sense to take a risk you're, you're, it's like uh, you're getting drawn out into the darkness and nature's sort of saying you know I know I know I'm kind of bullshitting you here a little bit like you might die and I'm not going to help you if you die I'm just going to consider you useless, useless failure but hey that's the kind of thing we need we need you to take this type of risk so uh, tough luck buddy go out and explore this and what this does is it shows you that these two categorical groups are wired differently they're made differently I am not the same as everybody else. Now, this is where big problems come, because then what you have is conflict between the personality types within society, the highly open-minded people begin to hate the normies, kill all the normies. Is, is I think there's a book that says this. And the normies tend to look at the open-minded people as dorks, as weirdos, as outsiders, as freaks, as, you know, oh, people who push on taboos. It's like, why would you do that? And actually, both of these perspectives are quite healthy. It's it's very natural for the types to stand on their own two feet. The generalized um, tribe will get angry at creators because the vast majority of creators are going to fail. So that's a good skepticism they have. They'll be like, shut up. I don't care about your stupid ideas. Um, but then the creators will feel isolated and 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 sort of um, they will start to resent the normies because the normies will try to plug them all into their stupid normie systems that are all ordered and based on strict controlled patterns and you're like this is this is a coward's way out of society this is a boring way out of society this is unimaginative unromantic and this conflict is actually natural and going to be there no matter what and really our responsibility is the massively open-minded people who get this resentment who look at and feel isolated by our friends and stuff like this true if we're to do our job right, we actually have to be the ones, the bigger men, who stand up and look at this big problem, this big picture, and take ourselves 12 steps back and actually see with wisdom what's going on and learn how to do our job properly without being resentful towards the normies so that we can experience what can happen. Because it's like Joseph Campbell. We're like the heroes who leave the village and then we go out into the darkness and the chaos and we risk everything and most of us die and then we go down and we defeat the dragon, claim back the knowledge of how the, the a new new thing that can work, a new innovation, a new paradigm, and then we come back and we fulfill our potential, become the actualized possibility of what a open-minded, open creator could have been, and we show up again as the leader, as the innovator, as the artist, as the CEO, as the creator, as the, the developer, the designer, the, 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 the progressive scientist or whatever it is, and we do the new thing, we save the normies, we save the tribe, we lead the tribe, we bring it this way. And ultimately, the challenge is at, at our feet, because the risk of failure is extremely high for a reason, but if we get it right, we succeed. And what I want to talk about in this video is that everything in you, if you have this personality trait, is wired towards making sure you go through that process, you individuate and fulfill that potential and achieve this leadership role and do this right. And I see that it's almost like a unique problem for creatives and high openness people to, to, to need this and I'm going to I want to talk about what strategies and, and you could even say life plans are necessary for you in order to get this stuff right. What it sort of means to have high openness is that you have this, you could say, a very, very powerful 
intellectual mind, a, a mind very capable of going into the abstract world of ideas. I, I think that's probably the simplest way to put it. Whereas most people, you could say the normies, they are much more engaged with reality. They probably don't abstract as much as a highly creative person does. And this can be a downside and an upside in many ways. Like abstraction is incredibly powerful, but it can also lead to the most horrible noggenism and jargonism you could ever possibly imagine. A complete um, a, a delusional uh, leaving of reality into the world of ideas and thoughts and, and, and academia and mathematics and creative stuff. Nietzsche himself would say about artists that artists do not tolerate reality. They hate it. They they, they're disgusted with the world around them and they refuse to deal with it. So what they do is they idealize, they invent in their heads a, in a, an imaginary world of how the, the world could be. And this is uh, literally a cope, a delusion. It's a fake world, but sometimes it can be so compelling that it can turn into a motivation to reshape the world in the image of your dreams. It's a very fascinating concept. But in the simplest sense possible, it's it's delusion. It's it's imagination. It's, you know, daydreaming. Literally, it's it's cope. It's, it's running off into escapism and ideas and missing out on the real world down around you. Whereas most normies will be like, oh, what are you doing? They don't have maybe the intellectual capacity. And I don't mean that as an insult to them. They just simply aren't designed that way. Nature is not designed them that way. So they're not too interested in blathering on in abstraction about nonsense. And so what they do is they focus on the world around them. They become extremely realistic. And they are like, you come to them and talk about, you know, imagine the ion of uh, Christ and Antichrist. Like, what are you talking about man just go to work you know just like stop reading these books and just go to work man what are you doing just come out into the bar on saturday night like you're making things so strange you're so hard to deal with you're talking about book cope all the time you're such a fucking freak like why are you listening to this irish man ranting on youtube about carol fucking young a swiss man from like a hundred years ago what the hell is wrong with you? Get yourself in order. What do you mean, the age of Aquarius? Like, I don't care what age it is. I just want to buy new shoes, man. Leave me alone, you freak. This is the normie, con this is the normie experience of us. And that was almost like uh, ASMR. <laughs> ASMR, normie hate for the, uh, for the open-minded people. That's probably going to be my next trick, guys. That's going to be the next thing I reveal. Um, and and what, what's happening there, like, think about it, is you're dealing with people who are plugged into reality and therefore practical and therefore more orientated towards order and systems and all this stuff. We have this capacity for dreams, capacity for imagination. Maybe you could even say the IQ to be able to explore abstractions. And this lends to us some fascinating things. And Jung comes along and speaks directly to people with that capacity. And he says something fascinating. He says that world of ideas is very important for you to explore. And you can look at it like um, you've got your ego, you've got the front of your mind, the sort of place that normally deals with reality and there's like this narnia door at the back of your mind that leads into the imagination okay or the unconscious as they might call it but we'll call it the imagination because the simplest way to think about it the world of narnia the world of mythical monsters and magical things and it's just sort of like an introverted um paradise if you will because you can sit there and you can be in the ego you can be in the real world but if you want you can just turn around at any point just right here in your desk and crack open that narnia door at the back of your head and, and just crack it open open it up and go inside of it and what will happen is you'll you'll enter into this sort of mythical red book like world where all these like strange profound experiences are churning around this very vivid imaginative colorful realm is going on and Jung would then map this out for you and he would suggest to you that right well there's layers to this you know with the very very most basic layer you'll be dealing with what we call your personal unconscious many of the things from your past your memories from your past and who you are the, the things that define you and then if you actually dig deep enough and he would say for example responsibly the way you would do this is first of all you deal with all your personal stuff and then what you do it's almost like a video game you gain access to the deeper level where you can go into the collective ideas you can ask bigger questions about the meaning of life and the purpose of your tribe and the the meaning of your nation and the your place in history and your place in time and all these type of things and the the relationship between the big ideas and you you can get into the collective unconscious the collective narnia the collective imagination that's really really like the very very deep layer or the very very high layer whatever way you want to look at it but ultimately it's a deeper level and what you're doing for you is you're cracking open that door and he's giving you a sort of map to the inner world a map to the world of imagination and this speaks to us so vividly because we sit there and we we're the type of guy that we're we're, we're in um, school 
we're staring out the window and we're daydreaming and we we are lost in this world of ideas and we love this world of ideas this is the kind of world that most people disrespect us for most people don't get us for but we have an intimate relationship with it and Jung starts to talk to us about there's there's something profound there's something maybe so important in there that you should make it a priority in your life to explore it to go really deep and really understand it he starts to speak then that there's all these active forces inside of it an animate soul that you can discover a deeper deeper profound self that might be pulling the strings in ways that you don't understand there's this ego of yours that might hold you back from being able to experience it properly and these are all profound ideas for us to latch on to and i've noticed that the majority of people who come into jungian psychology they're, they're they're looking for something along these lines they understand it deep intuitively inside of themselves they see young as like the introvert's dream and not to say that they're introverted but to say that that inner world of exploration is has got a a, a, a logic to it a reason a, a way that they can explore it and most of the stuff in the normal world is actually a little bit sterilized with this like it almost makes the imagination redundant and unscientific pseudoscientific whereas deep down you know from your personal felt experience where you're sitting there and you're imagining your past or your thoughts or even bigger ideas and whatnot you know that there's something real to that and you want to go explore this and it shows you what we are like we're designed for the world of ideas we're designed for conceptual realities we're designed for abstractions and imaginations we're the type of people who think about these things and, and value this stuff is extremely important you might hear um you know people who were bickering and blathering on about philosophical and religious concepts and and all these abstract concepts and it, it normies just don't see it as ha having any point like what's the point just stick with reality and all this but of course the world of ideas people the, the priestly types the jargonites the people who are really tuned tuned into the abstractions to this world that i'm talking about see this stuff as really important and really valuable and in fact it is like maybe a, a discussion intellectually now will historically lead to a massive maybe even a war down the line but it's it begins in the abstract discussions first of all and for example the french revolution came after a consequence of a lot of people going into coffee shops and bickering about political organizations and the values of equality and the abstractions about this and and it began as like just people talking people talking about the abstract world of ideas but it, it ended in this massive revolution in political systems and a lot of death and a lot of bloodshed and this it it, it once it became real everybody understood oh well that was pretty relevant what was going on at the coffee shops but probably at the time they were like these guys don't go to work they're just running in and getting high on coffee and talking nonsense like what the what the hell is this all about like what's what's happening here so there's extreme relevance to the world of ideas there's extreme importance to this and it speaks to us in a deep level that we really really want to be participants in this ideological world we are designed by nature to be aware of this it's almost like you could say a secret dimension a dimension that nature only tunes a small amount of us into and when we are able to get into it we can do incredible things we can go there and we can claim out of their ideas and we can wrestle with the ideas and break them down out of their abstractions and bring them down and make them valuable to the world this is what a scientist like maybe you know einstein and his ability to mathematically deduct um, the special theory of relativity pulls the conce concepts out of the out of the sky uses maths to verify them and then presents them to the world which gives us this ability to reorganize you know gps systems and stuff like this and this is actually quite fascinating stuff and in some sense the creative the the highly open person is designed for this they're designed for the abstract they're designed for these the these interesting ways of looking at things and Jung speaks to this Jung gives us a order a structure a way of approaching this a way of approaching this that is holistic both intellectual but also historical both personal and emotional but also a contextual within the broader sphere and the broader world and it's quite a fascinating thing to see people get moved by this so much and I've begun to understand that in order for us creative types, us high openness types, to get ourselves correct, to use ourselves right, we need to understand our role is 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 about. It's almost like we're we're um we're we're, we're dream workers who have to go into the world of ideas every single day and produce something in relationship to it, and then come out of it as soon as possible. For example, the normie way of working, which is you stay in reality and then you go to your job and you do eight hours of work over the course of the day or something like this. This is really not that useful for someone who's designed for the world of ideas instead what you need to sit down as a as a you could say an intellectual worker or something like this is you need to find two hours three hours maybe four hours where you sit down and you get a piece of paper you get you know ableton or your your document google documents or something like this or your camera or whatever it is and spend three to four hours getting 
deeply absorbed in your imagination and your world of thoughts and organizing this stuff and pulling stuff out of that reality and presenting it to the world or, or, or organizing it on a piece of paper or some type of canvas so you can bring it to the world. Um, and this is your creative process. This is your productive process. This is the best way for you to work. And this will energize you. This will create all this type of fulfillment. It's almost like this is you spending time with your muse and coming back out. And this is where the, these conflicts begin to happen with the normie way of society because the life path that will be laid out for you will be, you know, plug yourself into a job, work eight hours a day or something like this, burn out all your energy. You're not really able for that. You have to keep things sparse and short. You have to go in and do, you know, a deep, punchy dive into the the world of ideas and then come back out as quick as you can. You can't spend eight hours in there. It's too energetically intense. You have to go more compressed, more focused, a deeper, harder, more intense focus for a shorter period of time and then sort of relax and step back for the rest of the day. Kind of take some time off, if you will, and allow yourself for rest and relaxation because ultimately these creative types they don't tend to turn off ever what what i notice a normie can do is they can go to work for eight hours and then at the end they can get create complete work life separation but for me and for a lot of people like me a lot of people high in openness we can't like i can't do i can't do that i'm always thinking about what i need to think about it's always on my mind it's always whistling in the back of my imagination and i need to just let it there spin in the back of my mind in the unconscious in the world of ideas sorting itself out and then every maybe for two three four hours i need to sit down and just allow it to explode out of my mind. I need to give it ability, its ability to channel out of my pineal gland onto a page or something like this so it can give birth to itself. I can't do that all day because I'll, I'll fatigue too fast, but I can't, but I do need to do that. And if I don't, I'll start to get anxious. I'll start to be walking around. I won't be, I won't be, I'll be snappy with people. I'll give, be giving out to the normies. I'll, I'll feel isolated. I'll feel jaded. I'll feel weird. But if I can get this done, I achieve this very sort of and beautiful fulfillment. I, you know, I don't need materialist things for me to get fulfilled. I just need my three, four hours in the, in the start of the day of peaceful, quiet time where I can produce and create. And then once I do that, I tend to be happy with people. Once I can create and get that done and get that out of me and consistently do that every single day, I don't need a Lambo. I don't need a, a castle and all these type of things. These things are just silly to me because I have this ability to produce this and happiness will come for me. I'll be good energy. I'll actually be great to be around because I'm, it's almost like I, I, I'm relieved. It's almost like, you know, you've, you've blown your nut or something like that. Astrally, you've blown your nut and you're sort of relaxed for the rest of the day everything is just all right you know and um, don't care had sex that type of energy but of course you were making love to your muse which is somewhat different and this is what i've seen so clearly and this is why i see people so attracted to young the reason why they're they're drawn into this is that there is a world of ideas that they want to explore and you're, you're the most meaningful way you can coordinate and orientate your life is find something that allows you to explore that world of ideas in some way maybe you know you're into coding or something like that and that's a way for you to explore the sort of mathematical technological side of this or maybe you're into psychology and you want to do it this way or maybe you're into business and you're going to organize it this way but if it gives you this ability to bring this creative self out this ideological and conceptual self out and work with it every single day like a muse that you're bringing forth you will find very easy fulfillment very humble fulfillment that will genuinely just bring you on a path of happiness and if you don't you'll be like some type of freak who's always irked always anxious always not quite right and you won't ever fit in with many of the patterns that are laid out for you and the promise of a secure life won't appeal to you it'll be like ash in your mouth and your ability to work won't make sense and you'll, you'll just you'll just generally be stressed unhappy and dying inside in some sense you were been designed for, by nature to tune into this world of ideas and if you don't set up a life properly to to orientate yourself towards that and many bad things will happen now what i want to talk to you about is then the dangers of being part of this world of ideas and how nietzsche is the answer to this now, one thing that I am constantly harping on about uh, that is an extreme danger about being this high openness type is that just because you're open minded, just because you're able to to tune into this realm of abstractions and this world of ideas, just because you're able to go into Narnia and into your unconscious and into your imagination doesn't mean that you're any good at doing your job. And in fact, because of the nature of this, because it's so, because of the way it works, you're, you're very prone to delusion. You're very prone to cope. You're very prone to inefficiencies and flusiness. This is why you can think of the archetype of an intellectual as, you know, broke, delusional, unrealistic, out of touch with reality and not really kind 
kind of connecting um, his ideas with the real world around him. You see this in a huge amount of them, you know, Sartre and stuff like this. Oh, the um, other people are hell, and it's this complete um, spiteful resentment towards the the, the the realm of the real, the, the world around you and whatnot. Oftentimes the story I'm talking about where the normies don't understand and ostracize the, the highly creative types, this can lead to this, this tw- twisted resentment inside the openness and creative types who they begin to hate the normies. Uh, this sort of hubris and arrogance thinking that the creative types are better than the normies, as I've already alluded to, you know? If you created a society made out of high open creative people, it would be shit. Because no one would run the buses, no one would make sure things show up on time, no one would be able to control all this type of stuff, no one would be able to make sure that it's a well-managed society and everybody would be running around butt naked, lathering themselves in olive oil and, and leaves and stuff like this and playing music and expressing themselves. And it would be terrible, it would be an absolute mess, it would be just barbaric and it would sink down into delusion and probably be conquered by a way more boring and efficient people like the Romans or something like this. This is the, the serious problem with this high openness stuff and the ideals of this when these people are low resolution. Marx is, as I already said, a great example of this. Karl Marx specifically discusses the problem of needing to release the creative instincts out of the individual. He, he was very concerned with this because he was a highly open creative person and so he got a little bit one-dimensional and totalitarian and suggested that, right, what we got to do is entirely reform society where everybody gives out all the powers of the state, everybody gives out all the, the food and, and, you know, we share property among everybody so that everybody doesn't have, it can free their time, so nobody has to work, basically, any more than they need to and everybody has time to be creative. But the problem is, is that not everybody is geared towards the creativity he was thinking of. Not everybody is designed for the world of ideas in the way that he wanted and the society wouldn't even run that way and in fact, many, the sort of naturalistic evolved ways the society have turned turned around are very, very fertile and and helpful in, in dividing out roles among people and giving them, giving them to each in their own justified way. It, it sort of self-organizes in, in quite an interesting way. Nature is not dumb, is basically what I'm trying to say. And the, the ultimate, like, open-mindedness is actually to be able to see the purpose the normies have and the dignity that they have and the actual use that they have just because maybe they're not as open-minded they're far more conscientious organized well put together well orientated realistic all these things are incredible virtues compared to these intellectual types with their big ideas that are usually delusional and cope and of course the ultimate person who calls all this stuff out is Friedrich Nietzsche Nietzsche was a jargonite noggonist priestly type par excellence he was the most highly open-minded person you can imagine. It's like, it's almost like the midwit meme, you know? You have um, dimwits who are the normies who are, don't really get it. They can't really see this realm of abstractions. And they are just like, all right, just pay attention to reality, man. And then you have the midwits and there's loads of them and they're thinking, we're the, we're the intellectuals. We're so sophisticated. We're above the normies. We know how things work. We're the experts. We should castigate the normies and tell them how things work. We're so big and smart and strong and intelligent, big and open-minded. And we should reform society based on our ideological principles and make everybody intellectual and creative and get everybody to read and all this type of stuff and when most when most people just don't want to read and then of course you have Nietzsche on the far side and Nietzsche is like a blisteringly massive genius he's far smarter than all of them put together probably and he's basically coming back around and saying you are all delusional you're all the people who found that world of ideas and then decided that oh my god this is better than the real world I'm just gonna zoom up in here and dilly dally around in this you got lost in the abstract conceptual world of ideas, you ran off into noggonism, into jargonism. And the problem is that the final step is for you to understand it's like a unio conjunction, the conjunction of the opposites. You need to go up into the heaven of ideas, the realm of abstractions, the realm of, of, of dreams, and you need to learn, you need to humble yourself and learn to be really good at being a sophisticated, creative intellectual. You need to learn how to grab those concepts and bring them back down and integrate them with reality. You need to be both a grounded realist and a profound, open-minded thinker. If you can't get these two things to match, you will not be able to do your job properly. In fact, you should probably learn to shut up, but you'll probably find that the most people talk more when they're more lost in the world of abstractions and ideas. And this is Nietzsche's idea at the simplest level possible, you can understand this is Nietzsche's challenge. He is often saying that he hates 
idealism. He hates delusional idealism. He hates these these silly big thinkers that he sees all throughout philosophy. These people who pontificate, you know, systematic models of the world based on exploring the world of ideas because it's very midwit. It's them running off into the abstract world and trying to organize the abstract world and thinking that some type of perfection can be achieved here that will somehow heal the world around you. But instead, and this is truly like the entrepreneur or the I guess the artist's understanding, the artist's very intuitive understanding of how the world of ideas work. The world of ideas is like a, a hint, a, a whistle, a possibility, a flicker in the darkness. And your job is to sw- jump up there with the muse and grab notions and pull them all the way down through the dimensions of reality until you can grab them down into the third dimensional world and manifest them as an object or something like that. To give you a very straightforward example, this video, you know, I'm sitting down and in my head, the abstract notions to put together this video appear in my mind and they appear in the world of ideas really high up in like these little flickers inside of my head. I see these imaginative notions and I run up there and I write this stuff out as a script. I'll show you the script. You want to see the script? Oh, creative process by Uberboyo popping up. And this stuff pops up in my mind as these little flickers. And then I sit down and I begin to talk about them. I begin to to speak them. And there's this huge difference between what I write and the simplicity and abstract and perfection of what I write. The ideas are so simple when I put them down on paper, but to actually digest them and bring them out of my face, to bring them down through all the levels and present them through the realm of language and words, wow, that changes it a lot. It really rebaptizes the actual notions and, and reforms it. And there's so much messiness and so many problems. And actually from even speaking it out, you begin to see all the holes in the way that you were thinking. Like, it's so simple for me to say something like Nietzschean realism, but for me to actually explain this in a nice down-to-earth way that's very accessible for people, this is very, very, very difficult. I have to think of images all the time. I have to say to myself, wait a second, what are good metaphors and allegories and images that will help make this 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 idea visual to people so they can actually see what I'm talking about? Because when it's abstract, it's very sterile and dead. And this is a huge, complicated process. And any true, sincere artist will tell you this, that it's like always simple in theory, but in practice, it always gets messy. It always gets ruined. It's never perfect. But when it gets done, it can be very beautiful. It can be very, very well done. The same with a song. A song can be a hint in your ear. And by the time it's manifest, it might be something almost completely different. It's not nothing like what it seemed originally, but it's done. And it's its own thing. And it's new. And it's real. And it's made. And, and that's really important. The same with any type of idea or work of some sort. And what, what you're ultimately seeing there is that the great victory, the great proof of concept of the high openness creative person, the great hero, the great leader, the great achiever is the person who can go into the realm of ideals and successfully take these ideals and bring them out of that realm into reality and manifest them as reality. Manifest something that is real and functions and is objective and works and you can pick up at your hand and see and use and give to other people and show to other people. And that's a great challenge. That's a very, very fascinating problem. Nietzsche is very, very heavy on this. The true magic of being this type of person is to see the realm of dreams and take them out, take take the hints out of the realm of dreams, things that no one has ever seen before, and create them as objects in the real world. This is magic. This is the creative process. This is the true apotheosis of this type of high openness person. This is what you're looking to do when you're trying to be this person. And what you'll see is this is the most difficult thing. This is the thing that requires you to sacrifice the perfection of your ideas, requires you to actually work, requires you to actually do stuff efficiently requires you to be serious and humble with yourself, requires you to have standards and criteria of a failure, all the things that you don't want, all the things that your emotions wrapped up with your ideas and the perfection of your ideas and this beautiful book you're writing, you don't want any of those things because it will offend you, it will tell you that you're wrong, it will tell you that you're not competent enough, it will tell you that you might not know what you're doing, it will tell you that you're not good enough, it will tell you that you lack skill, it will tell you that you need to develop the ability better to represent what you're doing. And nobody wants that stuff. Everybody wants to keep it simple. And it's always simple and easy in the realm of abstraction in the perfection world. And ultimately, the clearest manifestation of this is the very famous thing called writer's block, perfectionism. I see this all the time. People come to me and they have these huge, massive concepts in their heads, these uh, like an entire novel or book written out in their mind. Oh, I've got this massive big book that I'm developing in my mind and it's perfect and I've got, it's going to start on Mars and then it's going to come down into the housing estate that I grew up in and then it's going to transform and turn into this big thing where I'm like taking on the world and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool. Write me the first chapter. And the second they sit down to write the 
first chapter all this emotional welts come up and they're like oh my god I'm not good enough and it's so hard and it's so hard to take all the abstractions and I often have to grab them and say simplify everything stop trying to write some type of mythological cosmic story about Mars and, and, and connecting it to your place on Earth and maybe just try write a simple story that works and then you can build up towards that maybe in 10 years if you want you can have a go at something that big but for now let's actually just be a little bit humble and take baby steps towards it and this is something no one wants to do these are simple problems that a lot of people can't do because a lot of people are not good jargonites they're not good noggonists they're not like Nietzsche where they're able to understand this realism but this is the essential thing that you have to do you can't be a perfectionist you can't be stuck in this realm of ideas uh, with delusion because then you become a bad creative you become a Karl Marx you come up with notions you might even be able to represent your notions somewhat um attractively to people but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to bring in good into the world it actually might even mean you bring in evil into the world or danger into the world simplicity left brainism might come into the world this way and a simple abstract idea that you demand that the the word the world it creates this idea that you have. It's like, oh, I've got a theory. I've got an idea. I've got a perfect notion in my head. I want you to go and make it in the world because it's going to work. And then they try to make it. And of course, they do it at the social scale. They reform society in accordance with your your untested, noggonist notion that, that someone like Karl Marx comes up with. And of course, what does this turn into? This butchery of the real world, this offense of the real world. It's like it's like everybody gets possessed by a demon and this demon wants to uh, chop up all, the entire population and reshape them and re, re-hammer them into shape to make make them better, to make them perfect, to idealize upon them like a tyrannical artist trying to smash the Russians into shape so they fit into the square peg into the round hole of Karl Marx's ideas. It's a very fascinating problem. And ultimately, this is what you see as the most challenging thing. Delusion, cope, lack of realism, idealism at the expense of groundedness. And the truth is that you want both. You don't want to be a realistic dullard who's stuck in the real world and can't think, can't imagine, can't see, can jump into the realm of ideas you want to be able to do this and this is what you've been gifted with and ultimately your challenge the humble challenge you have to accept is that if you're going to do your job right you need to be able to put these two things together and it's something you can train it's something that's very doable and when you do it well it may it gives you the highest likelihood of very profound success and very profound moral good for the world you'll produce something of value because you do it correctly these these are the types of people like scientists who figure out how to open up the third dimension and reshape things and develop things out of it to go into the specificities of tiny little details and rip out of them the ability to create electricity or technology like I'm talking into now this is all achieved by people who are using massively abstract thought to dive into the the material world if you will but it is it comes from a, a, a perspective a discipline that is hugely important and what you notice is that when people are trapped in this world of ideas and trapped in this abstraction and lacking this realism, like I often, I get, get you've, you've heard me get jaded about this. I'll tell people, just go to the gym, man. Just go and learn to fight and stuff like this. And these are like, oh, kind of gruggish, boring things. Why? That's, that's pathetic. No, I don't want to be like some type of gym bro or something like this. But ultimately, these disciplines, they're so fantastic because they're the antithesis towards the intellectual, towards the noggonist, towards the priestly type. They ground them in an absolute sense. They pull people down into the firm hard physical reality and get you really in touch with the weighted world of nature. It's like a marriage to the grounded world, if you will. And instead, if you notice that people ignore this, this becomes like the shadow of the intellectual, if you will. If someone ignores all this stuff and they say, no, I'm better than this, you'll start to see all sorts of interesting patterns. As I said, perfectionism, their emotions weirdly will get really tied up with their ideas. So if you start to disagree with them, they get highly angry and animated. They have no um, humor or humility or ability to adapt to the world of ideas and you'll start to see actually for example you know the anima question that Jung would always talk about like you present the anima to me and I think of it like the muse who's empowering me with energy and it's almost like the life force of nature and it's a very sort of um, beautiful and, and, and healthy relationship it feels but I've noticed with these people the anima is like a uh, an interchange for the idea of sexual love with their patheticness their effeminacy if you will and I, I mean to say like um, because they're lost in the realm of abstractions and they have no relationship with the the world of nature, the grounded world, the realistic world, they, their, 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 their need for that groundedness starts to form in their heads of a, a in, 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 like a softness, like a gentleness. They need, they need a mommy to cuddle them. You know, it's, it's weird. It's like an Oedipal problem. They need mommy to cuddle them. They listen to someone like Young, who speaks to this world of imaginations. They're like, oh, the anima, oh my anima, oh, I, I can sit here and be in my comfortable, sensitive feelings where I can get in touch with this. And there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. There's nothing wrong with being aware. In fact, being 
both sensitive and aware is an extremely powerful thing. It's like this Buddhist ability to sit down and perceive deeply into the world by becoming sensitive and aware of all the little details. This is what a scientist or a true creator or a shaper or a proper intellect will do. But, um, you have to, you know, integrate that with a masculine realism, a masculine groundedness. You know, again, the opposites. Integrate the masculine and the feminine together to create a holistic person, precisely what Jung was talking about. But instead, you see in these people, it's it's a sort of um, delusion. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a realm. It's a lack of groundedness and a, a lostness in the realm of ideas, and there, therefore all these these patterns show up in the wrong way. The the idealism turns into delusional cope and perfectionism and, and emotional extremism, and then what also you have is the sort of softness and, and, and weakness and effeminacy and it shows up in their very, very being. They're not very compelling masculine people. They seem like cope people, people who are lost in their heads, stuck in their heads, the classic geek and nerd, if you will, that um, a lot of people would push at. And I think there's something fair enough to kind of point at them. It's saying, listen, you're being a coward fundamentally. You're not brave enough. You're not humble enough, most importantly, to dive into the real world and have your ideas tested. You're an arrogant little child who wants to stay in the world of ideas where everything is comfortable and safe for you. And you want to live there with the, you know, animate mother, as as uh, as meme analysis would say, the the digital or abstract mother that you can um, get lost within and cuddle with her instead of you diving down into the heavy weighted world of war and creation and crafting and brutality and failure and, and and test your ideas there and make sure that it's real and make sure that it happens. So ultimately, the 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 great statement I'm trying to make here is that Nietzschean realism is the ultimate balance towards this idealism that you often see in ty- inside your type of personality and it's really important you take it serious every time you take a step forward with this you come closer towards making sure your personality type becomes a success so my favorite period of history is studying about 250 years ago when you were transitioning from the agrarian peasant medieval renaissance Europe into the modernized industrial revolution world where everything was, all the cities were rising. As I spoke earlier, the rising of schools came out of this period, which let, let, led us into this modern paradigm, which is so fascinating, based on the premise of equal training for everybody. Um, and of course, what's brilliant is that all these new ideas ideas were coming up in concert. Like there's so many things you can look into this that set up sort of paradigms for us now that are just wrong, just stupid and lead to really stupid ideas. For example, diet, looking up the industrial revolution and diet will blow your mind if you really look into this. Now, the one that I'm um, really thinking about here is the the problem of what happened with the intellectuals around about 200 years ago. The, the fact that the intellectuals got a bit like dopey, they made some bad decisions and ended up screwing themselves over long term. So the simplest one of all was the intellectuals around about the French Revolution got obsessed with the concept of equality because it's a beautiful concept. And so they started to celebrate equality and say the equality over everything. You know, in France, they said liberty, fraternity, and equality. They got absolutely obsessed with this in opposition to, you know, hierarchy and inequality and, and, and structure. Now, this is the dumbest thing an intellectual could ever do because fundamentally their position as a minority is to, they need to understand themselves as not the same as everybody else. They're not equal equal to everybody else. They're not on the same level play, playing field. They have more intelligence than everybody else. They're the priestly or Brahmin or intellectual caste. They're a different set of people. And it's their job to do their role properly. Now, if you create something where everybody is the same, everybody is equal, you reduce the quality of these minorities. You, you reduce the ability for them to do their job properly. In fact, you sort of allow them to slack on their job. For example, things like democracy and all these type of things. They're actually very silly ideas when you really think about this. When you think when you study the distribution of populations, it just becomes clear as day that none of this stuff can really make sense when you really, really look at it. Now, what's even more interesting is that among the minority of the high openness, high intellectual people, they're not like it. There's there's no equality here either. There's some intellects that are extremely sharp and intelligent, and most of them are not. I'm sorry to say, it's just the case. And you'll get a lot of midwits in this population who will think they know what's up, who think that they deserve more rights and authority and voices than they actually do because they're not as smart and not as wise as they they would say. In fact, the most lack of wisdom you will see is specifically these type of people who will champion these ideas of equality and speaking um, in these these absolute terms because it's flattering and beautiful and it's lacking the wisdom to understand exactly how what this is going to manifest. Karl Marx is a brilliant example. He was a very smart man who spoke some very beautiful ideas about reforming society to suit the creative, high intellect, high openness people with the assumption that, you know, 
every peasant farmer when when given enough leisure time by communism would turn into Mozart and this is just incorrect this is just dumb it's just stupid it's not well uh, formulated or put together it's not well taught through it it completely lacks wisdom it's a midwit take you know it's a midwit take and you see this in the French Revolution as well you have Voltaire you have all these really excellent writers and excellent thinkers who just aren't able to see past their problems so they assume that all right what what we're going to do is we're going to pull down the the hierarchy that is in place the royal Catholic theology that is in place, theocracy that is in place, and we're going to reform society around these new principles of equality, and this is going to work perfectly fine, and of course it didn't at all. It was a complete hilarious disaster. First of all, there was this butchering of all the the, the best people in, in society. They killed off the kings, the aristocracy, and the intellectuals, and then what came after that was a reign of terror where they just started killing each other because they were fighting for power because ultimately hierarchy is what matters. It's dark, cold, and, and a real reality they were butchering each other so they could form an intellectual elite and then of course what comes along is napoleon and napoleon eventually crowns himself empire because what you're desiring in these societies is absolute authority no matter what and napoleon comes in and fits the bill properly he represents what's going on and of course he has to play to the bullshit quite a lot to these big ideas he was always championing you know revolutionary ideas while going around and dominating and, and destroying all the world so it's all it's all a bit of a parody it's a bit of a joke but it it's the way human society societies were. You, we can live through the most excessive parodies you'd ever imagine. And the French Revolution is one of the most fascinating uh, examples of this. Now, what also happened with this is it, it, it gave birth to a new era, a new ion. And this new ion was the destruction of, of all old paradigms of thinking, hierarchy, um, religion, uh, kingship, aristocracy, inequality, all these type of things. These were givens. These were known as like the right way to do things for thousands of years. All of that stuff was just thrown out the window. The French Revolution was the baptism in the fire of the new world, the new way of seeing things. And it started to spread everywhere. Politics, um, uh, even armies, like Napoleon had trouble where his army had to obey by revolutionary ideals. So he had to sort of do this thing where he created a, you know, uh, an equal flat hierarchy within the army. But in order to do that, he basically just gave his generals a lot of different control. But he had to sort of say, all right, but the generals like have a, a hierarchical authority over this because militaries need hierarchy no matter what. Um, so there was always this push and pull between what was going on and it started to show up everywhere and one of the most interesting places is in education as I said already what happened then is everybody started to demand education that was equal education for all you know and instead of us focusing on educating the few these exceptional minorities these high openness intellectuals and grabbing them in and educating them drawing out their best abilities the shift focused more towards educating the majority taking everybody and turning them into factory workers turning them into to people who are adaptable to a modern economy and actually all old education was focused on this old this this way of grabbing the best pulling them out and developing them because there's this understanding that if you you know perfect one person and send them back into society as a fully developed educated person they would redeem society more than a thousand people who were you know sort of mediocre sort of only so good if you will because if you get one person who's a compelling and profound speaker, a leader in that type of sense, they can organize a huge amount of people very efficiently and very well. Whereas a huge a thousand people who are sort of middle, middle educated, not really well put together, but sort of better than, you know, the 20% better than they were before. That's not a, that's not something that leads. That's not powerful. That's not impressive. That's actually like a, maybe even a waste of time in many senses. And so this old way of doing things was known as the kind of classical liberal arts education. And when you look into it, when you look into into it. Alex Jones' psychology here. It re Eddie Bravo's psychology, you start to see fascinating patterns. For example, in Greece and Rome, um, they had they would take people in, they would train them in gymnastics, music, uh, public speaking, um, how to conduct themselves in a sort of social way. They would, they, you know, all the self-help stuff you see coming out of America, they would do that stuff. They would train people in these things because they saw it as so unbelievably valuable. They wouldn't come in and sit them down and make them stare at book cope and get them to recite that at the end. They thought that was pointless. They had grammar, which was like they'd study the histories and all this type of stuff. But it was contextualized within a broader goal of developing out the great articulate powers of someone to turn them into a profound speaker, leader, and orator, to turn them into a physically compelling person, to turn them into an, in, um, an aesthetically compelling person. And what they would obviously do is take the general population and of the people who showed the most propensity for this, they would focus on them the most. They would develop the best. They would take the cream of the crop and make the most out of them. Because when you put these people back in society, they do pareto distribution 
so much work compared to everybody else. And if you if you put your focus towards the quality you you of of just getting the bulk, you you make huge amounts of mistakes because of that. It's not that you should ignore them, but if the focus is the priorities on them, you miss out on the exceptional. And it's the exceptional that justify the mean. That's a very interesting statement. I'll probably get in trouble for that. Um. So you see all these intellectuals celebrating equality and these beautiful ideas, and they're, they're just, they lack wisdom, they lack understanding, they make mistakes, and they end up long-term subverting the intellectuals of the future because they set up education systems that essentially castrate intelligent, um, open-minded, unique people. And this is what you see nowadays. The education system is not designed for us. It's completely not. In medieval Europe, the, the way that they orchestrated things in a fascinating way was basically if you had talent, because a lot of people would say, oh, well, that was elite education in Greece and Rome, which is true. It was very much saved for the Roman elites and whatnot. But in classical Europe, it was even more equal, if you want to think about it this way. Um, they, you, Everybody would live in a parish in a village. And then the priest would notice, oh, you're very talented. Oh, you're a very smart guy. You clearly are interested in this Bible that we're talking about. You're really asking interesting questions. And if the priest was a good priest, he would then bring it up to maybe his bishop. And then the bishop would notice this person and say, you know what? We'll send you to university. And so they developed this aptitude. Now, the most, most of the people people most of the people there they just leave as farmers they wouldn't say oh we have to make you you, you often hear that mean oh no one was literate back then it's like just, who who wants to be literate who wants to read book cope is book cope really improving your life you're still a dork you're still you know you're still not happy oh but i've read four hundred thousand books you're, you're so what you're not smarter you're not more interesting you're just like your head your left brain's full of more cognitive concepts but that doesn't make you any more profound you're just a, you're still a loser because nothing has been drawn out of you you've just had input put inside of you you're, you're sort of like you know, like your filing cabinet wow oh what a great person yeah shut up <laughs> oh you work a factory job and you have a meaningless life stuck inside some type of massive cognitive modern economy machine and you're a filing cabinet for information you picked off up off bad writers have been through the same process wow enlightenment happy days i'm glad society's been set up this way no you're a dork shut up right and most of these people were left alone like go live in nature develop your own food have clean organic food all the time have your girl have your your husband have your children have all this have a meaningful life path set in front of you and um, have the security of all this and don't have to worry you know you don't have to worry about reading about politics and all these type of things by bad authors and all this type of stuff you'll have your priest you'll get keep everything organized that's a fair deal you don't have to read you know i'll take care of the, the intellectual stuff and then a kid pops up and he shows these traits of high openness the minority of of, of people will have this and then they'll see this and then the, the priests take them onto the bishops and send them up into the university and what is the university it's like harry it's like hogwarts it's literally like hogwarts you go into it they all speak latin first of all so it's the secret language that's transnational it's not like a national thing it's transnational transnational and sort of supported by the church understood by all the nations as valuable and you get plugged in from anywhere in Europe, you know, Poland, Ireland, um, France, whatever it is, you get sucked up into these universities, you're taught Latin, you're taught Greek, you're taught how to speak, you're taught all these type of things, and you're, you're inter entered into this elite group of minority thinkers, and it's very hierarchical, it's very rude, you know, it's very naughty to say, well, like, it's not equal at all, we leave the peasants to be illiterate, and it's like, oh, the pe peasants are ignorant, well, yes, but we also develop out the high openness people and get the most out of them and develop speaking powers and then send them back into society as leaders, as business leaders, as, as as, as um, people who are doing actual political leadership, artists, architects, scientists, in fact, all the things that you think are really cool about modern life that actually suck now because we don't have this anymore. We don't have a good um, source of, uh, of talent. All this stuff came from this. Do you ever wonder why all of science is written in Latin and Greek? Do you ever wonder why that was? It's because the people who developed science were these group of Latin elites spread out across Europe that were sharing papers with each other, talking in this strange language, talking about inf information. Alchemy came from this as well as the, the father of modern, modern chemistry and literature. All these things, they were all bulked up together in this type of style. And actually out of this came many of the ideas that led to these revolutions because some of these people were dorks. Some of these were um, useless intellectuals, book copists, jargonites that couldn't see the big picture and didn't understand what's going on. And so the old literate liberal arts education, that's what it was called, not modern liberal arts, which is just brainwashing camp as usual, just gotten worse. It was old classical liberal arts was this very, very fascinating way of solving this problem of the minority intellectuals. Isn't that so strange? Isn't that so profound? What does that mean? Now, 
my big focus going forward in the future is providing that the best I can. I don't want to go back and re-revolutionize the traditional education system. It's not there anymore. We don't live in that context anymore. We don't have an infrastructure of a massive, profoundly um, well-organized Catholic church that was would be supporting all this. We don't have interoperability between all the nations. All of that stuff is is, is gone. We, we don't have these things. We're not in the past. But I am very, very fascinated about the future. And I'm looking at the opportunities that we do have. We do have, of course, for example, the internet that can do something that is transnational and take people into it and develop out these types of people to do their job in the best possible way that they can. And of course, I noticed that these people tend to be underserved, these high intellectual open types, these people who are highly creative. They tend to have many of these problems, as I said, all of this experience that all the way I'm seeing this with clarity now at this point has been from just working with hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is what we all are. This is the thing that we're sharing among everybody, you know? I've gotten jaded at times because um, I, I wouldn't see enough warrior energy, but then I realized, oh, wait a second, I'm not trying to turn everybody into a warrior. I'm trying to add warrior energy to this intellectual creative type because this is often something that they lack and i see that this is this is the it's almost like the great need maybe it's it's one of the great things that i can hit on if i do it properly to offer something using modern technology the power of the internet where people can come on board and actually get an education designed for drawing out their power skill-based education skill-based training to teach them how to speak well look at the way my life has changed just from able to speak well like that came from me running out by myself as I said, um, paying mentors like scraps of money that I had in order for them to train me in the way that they would teach speech, speech, poets, artists, lawyers, public speakers, all these type of things. This is this was all the, the 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 place where I invested this because all of the school system just didn't suit me. It was just book cope getting shoved in. Instead, I developed aptitudes and skills to make myself better. I developed ways of understanding my creativity in my mind and working on that great problem of bringing what is introverted and inside my head and manifesting it out of speech articulate in the world. And I want to set something up that trains people how to do this, provide something very straightforward and simple for them to actually use to develop out this attribute of their personality. Because ultimately, if they do it right, they won't be, they have a far lower likelihood of being that a thousand failure. And they have that chance of becoming that incredible success that is offered to people like these leaders, like these potential high intellectual people who go out into the world, into the chaos, uh, really adapt themselves, fill themselves out individuate in all the possible avenues and come back and bring immense value to the world if they get it right they are a treasure and if they aren't serious and they aren't um, good enough they will fail and that's sad but that's the way nature works and this type of risk is what i'm looking to facilitate to say you know what it's not, we're going to have an awful lot more failures if we keep just plugging people into these stupid normie systems and it's okay they're, they're there for a reason we understand why they're there but we need to begin to think all right what could you do differently what could, could you do separately what could be going on there so if you're interested in this, you want to hear about this more, you can book a free call down below. You can talk to me or a member of my team and we'll actually run you through everything. I know there's an awful lot of questions probably to come up with this. This is a little bit abstract, but I want to paint the big picture first of all. So if you want, you can book a call down below, chat to the boys and we will run you through how everything works. We'll talk to you about the actual procedures and practicalities and what it looks like, you know, actually experiencing going through this, this, this internet education, if you will, this internet university and what it means to develop out these skills. Like what are these skills? How do you use them? How are they going to make you better? How are they going to change your life? How are they powerful? How are they going to help you succeed? What is the vision of success and what are we doing in this regard? So if you want that, you can just book that call down below. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, thank you very much for listening and may the juice be with you. And um, there's the cult coming in again. May the juice be with you. I'll talk to you later, lads and lassies. Bye-bye.